0: Well, hi everyone and welcome to alzheimer speaks radio i'm thrilled that you are back with us today for those of you that are new alzheimer speaks is about sound information not just sound bites we like to have real conversations with real people who are in the trenches so that means uh, those diagnosed family members a variety of businesses authors movie directors researchers advocates and so much more So maybe, just maybe, you can be our next guest. Feel free to reach out to me at radio at Alzheimer Speaks if it's time for you to share your story. And if you liked our opening music, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band, and you can download that on any of your favorite music platforms. Now, I always like to give a few shout-outs in the beginning here. So I welcome you to... uh, Join me on the virtual memory cafe, Arthur's Memory Cafe, the second and fourth Wednesday each month at 1 p.m. Central Time. But we have people from all over that join us and you are more than welcome to do so. That is for people with dementia and their care partners. And if you're in Minnesota and close to me uh, by Shoreview, um, Brookdale North Oaks is sponsoring a Caregiver Connect uh, where we're meeting in person at this point at the Shoreview Community Center. And that takes place at 10 a.m. And we typically meet for an hour there. And it's um, it's always um, enlightening and refreshing, I think, for all of us. And then, of course, I'd be in Miss if I didn't give a shout out to Dementia Map, our global resource directory. My dream of 36 years has finally come to fruition. So please check out DementiaMap.com. It is free to use. You don't have to sign in or be a member or remember another password. And if you have a service product or tool, we'd love to have you um, go ahead and input that into the directory. And if you'd like a tour, again, just reach out to me and I will be more than glad to help you with that. On there, you will find um, things like uh, Coral Health, who is still allowing people to download Uh, Two of their apps, Music First and Choral Faith. You're going to hear about the Footbar Walker, which I'm going to talk about here in just a little bit as well. Um, But so many wonderful, wonderful resources. Saltbox TV, uh, Zinnia TV, uh, and so, so much more. Uh, Let's see. I also want to give a shout out to Stories Love Music. Um, This is a free program uh, that is virtual, and it'll be on Tuesdays at 11 to 1 p.m. Eastern Time, November 30th to December 14th. They are um, taking registrations uh, so that you can get the Zoom link. You can find more information out about that uh, by going to storieslovemusic.com forward slash contact dash us, and you will get a lot of great things um, for caregiving. Also want to um, bring to mind, there is a new program out there that you can get involved with to help Alzheimer's research in just minutes from your home. It's with Picnic Health. So just go to picnichealth.com forward slash speaks to sign up and get $25. Picnic Health collects and digitizes all of your medical records into one online account. And then you can consent to share that anonymized data of your records with medical researchers and by examining real world data from your medical records researchers can actually find answers to things that they couldn't find in clinical trials so know that your story is important and your unique healthcare journey um, you are able to share that if you so choose also if you're caring for someone with alzheimer's and have the power to do so you can sign up on their behalf again go to picnic health dot com forward slash speaks and get your twenty five dollars when you sign up we're going to hear from the foot bar walker and we'll be right back
1: introducing the life-changing footbar bar walker
0: i'm peggy from danville kentucky and i'm 91 years old the foot bar walker revolutionized my care of george the saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000. The footbar walker opens and closes just like a standard walker. The only thing that is different is the top bar and the foot bar. Does that ever make a difference?
1: Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The foot bar walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up and no lifting from the caregiver is required see how it works at thefootbarwalker.com that's thefootbarwalker.com peggy would you recommend the footbar walker
0: do i ever i would not be in the health that i'm in today at this age had it not been for the footbar walker well, now it's time to introduce our guest, and I'm really excited to have her with us. We have author Patty Davis joining us today to discuss her new book, Floating in the Deep End, How Caregivers Can See Beyond Alzheimer's. While most of us understand how difficult dealing with dementia is as a diagnosis, but now add to the journey, like Patty had to, That your dad is not only a public figure, but he is President Ronald Reagan. This is Patty's story, which started in 1994 when her dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And for a decade, her father's illness, Patty felt, as if she was really floating in the deep end. Tossed by waves, carried by currents, and yet not drowning. Her lifelines were her faith. And her stubborn streak helped resolve that, that look, um, you know, that past and the cruelty of the disease. And, and she learned through that stubbornness how to look forward. So we are just so honored to have Patty with us today. Um, she has authored a lot of books, which some of you may or may not know, like The Long Goodbye, Uh, She has a support group called Beyond Alzheimer's that is now um, licensed in Pennsylvania and also in the Cleveland Clinic. And so it's just a thrill to have you with us, Patty. Welcome to the show. Thank
2: you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, before um, I get into my line of questions with you, I'm also going to have my co-host introduce herself Um, She is living with dementia, and so, Kate, if you don't mind just giving the audience a little background on yourself, that would be wonderful, what kind of dementia you have and how long you've been living with it.
3: Um, My name is Kate Lau. I'm originally from Malaysia. Um, I didn't come all the way to America to think that I would get dementia. (laughs) I came to see America because I want to be free, and I'm now isolated. Um, I have, I live with a form of dementia called BVFTD. It is behavior variant frontotemporal dementia. My long-term memory is intact, but my short-term memory um, is not good at this stage, meaning that I'm I'm losing... um, Words as in looking at certain things, and I'm pointing as it I need that 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 green thing I cannot find the name for it and um if I haven't said it and I've forgotten what I've just said, um I was diagnosed uh with alzheimer's misdiagnosed in twenty twelve and uh after taking more tests, I was diagnosed i am diagnosed with Busy FTD, wow. and I'm living well compared to many others.
0: Wonderful. Well, thanks for thanks for giving that background. That's uh, helpful for people. I'm gonna first start by asking um, Patty a few questions here. Um, so, needless to say, you have been personally touched by dementia with your father, President Ronald Reagan. Um, but have there been others in your family or circle of friends? That have been um diagnosed with with a form of dementia as well
2: well i have i have many friends who have uh, parents or loved ones with with dementia and um i ran my support group for six years so i obviously have have um you know i i know many many stories um uh in my family um uh my uncle may well i think my uncle was diagnosed with Alzheimer's but he was also an alcoholic so um, you know, maybe maybe he had Alzheimer's, and maybe his brain was just pickled. I don't. I'm not mm. sure. <laughs> sure. I don't mean sure. to be. I'm not trying to be glib, but you know, it it sometimes it's a murky diagnosis because alcohol, obviously, in large doses, does affect the brain
0: yeah well and depending on you know how old your relatives are and when you know symptoms and signs started to occur i mean my mom was told for 10 years it was her hormones you know doctors really didn't talk about it and uh it wasn't until my dad uh, had brain cancer and we ended up you know saying okay this is it (laughs) we've gotta we've gotta find somebody else to go to because something's going on here Um, Uh And it's very, very common for people to be misdiagnosed and re-diagnosed and it's, uh, you know, or depression. It it can look like so many different things. So, Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Because I I know as I talk with people, um, when I ask that question, it it really isn't to pry. But, you know, so often we hear that, you know, it's only if you have a certain gene But I hear so many people in their families go, well, yeah, this person, that person, a lot of people had symptoms, weren't necessarily diagnosed, but they're starting to see a pattern now. And they used to call it different things, too. So that made it difficult, too, you know, the hardening of the arteries and all of that. So I think it's going to be interesting as we as we go forward. I wanted to ask if you can share with our audience um, one aspect of the diagnosis that changed your relationship with your dad, and I'm sure there's more than one, but what was the most prominent to you? Uh,
2: well, I, I decided right at the beginning that I, I didn't believe his soul could be sick. Um, I didn't believe his soul could have Alzheimer's, and that really was my grounding for, for the 10 years of, of his illness um you know obviously he lost cognition he lost memory um he he um retreated into a, a world of his own which is what happens with alzheimers but <clears throat> i believed that there was an intact soul there and believing that i i was always looking for the the little windows through the disease which which do come and they're very fleeting and they they're they're gone in an instant. So if you don't consider the possibility that there might be a soul in there that isn't sick, you will miss those moments. So, you know, even if when I've said that to people and it doesn't fit with their spiritual beliefs or lack of beliefs, um I, I've always said to people, consider the possibility because it will change how you deal with your loved one. It will um it will open you to to the experience of of um, having those those moments when you can when there's an aperture through the disease.
0: Oh, I so agree with you. I and I I've never heard it um, framed that way, but I, I'm right there with you. I I never gave up hope of our relationship and our connection still being there. And it it really did make a big difference. I look at how my brothers dealt with it and they just saw loss in every direction. And I was looking for what do we still have? And um, in fact, I was talking with somebody the other day and I said, one of the things that taught me, and I'd love to hear if it taught, if you saw this too, but different levels of unconditional love, I didn't know existed.
2: Well, I don't think that i Alzheimer's doesn't destroy love. I don't believe that um <clears throat> even if you know people people hold out the um the fact of of their loved one forgetting their name as as something really pivotal and it is pivotal but i think um I think a lot of times people hold that up. As um, as such a huge thing that they've already decided it's going to be a huge thing, before it even happens, and and a devastating thing before it even happens, and I always try to say to people, you know, even if your your parent or your spouse or your sibling or whoever it is forgets your name, that doesn't mean that they have forgotten that they love you. Um, that's beneath the the um, the area of cognition, so. Um, You know, we, we decide really what our experience of an experience is going to be, and I think that's one of the lessons of this disease. If you go into it thinking this is going to be horrible, the person is just lost to me, there's no one home, there's no one there anymore, then that's going to be your experience. If instead you open yourself up to I don't know what this is going to be, I am willing to learn. I'm willing to see whatever is in front of me, and I'm and I'm willing to really open the boundaries of my vision. Um, then that's going to be your experience. I would
0: recommend the latter. Oh, definitely. I, I I would agree too. Now there must have been times. I think all of us go through anger and disappointment and just feeling scared. You know, with. With this disease and how things progress, how did how did you deal with all of those feelings? Um,
2: all of those are valid feelings. We're human beings, and they are they are valid feelings. Um, y- you know, the technique that I use, and I've written about it in in floating in the deep end, um, uh, particularly with anger. Um, I, I gave myself a time limit on it. I read somewhere that the our our normal reaction of anger our physiological reaction of anger plays out in something like i don't know 12 minutes or something like that um that's our adrenalized state and that's that's where that's what anger is physiologically anything beyond that is a choice so uh, taking that i thought okay then what if i give myself a time limit on on my anger um i'm going to like set a timer for 30 minutes and I will allow myself to be angry for 30 minutes, but at 30 minutes, I got to stop, right? I'm going to choose to stop at 30 minutes. And, you know, I've recommended it to a lot of people and it kind of works. And, and what happens is you do that enough times at about like 15 or 20 minutes, you start to go, okay, I'm like really tired of this now. (laughs) This is not, (laughs) there's like no reward to this anymore. (laughs) <laughs> right? Yep. So you can shorten the time, but you can't lengthen the time. If it gets to 30 minutes, you got to stop. Yep. There's, not, there's not snooze alarm on it. But you can shorten it.
0: I love that. Well, and do you feel, too, like anger and, and fear are usually wrapped in a grief or some, some form of loss?
2: I think that um, anger always sits on top of something else. Usually fear, oftentimes grief, but it always sits on top of something else. And, and you know, if you think about it, you know, even if we get angry when we're behind the wheel of our car at some driver who just cut us off, underneath our anger is fear that we almost got in an accident and got injured.
1: Mm-hmm. So if you
2: really strip it down, it's, it is always about something else. And I think that's a really good way to dismantle it also. I, I would never recommend denying your anger. I mean, it's it's there for a reason and like I said, we're all human but you know, managing it and um, not letting it take us over I've written in my book and I believe this really strongly that there is a big difference between getting angry and being angry you Mm
1: -hmm. know,
2: we all get angry, I mean, unless you're I don't know, unless you're hypnotized or something we all get angry (laughs) um but there we don't want to be an angry person. We don't want just that slow boil to end up being our reality.
0: Mhm. Well, you know, I love when you're talking about emotions that hey, everybody has this spectrum of emotions and they're totally normal. But it's yeah. how we deal but it's how we deal with them and it, it's a am, it's amazing been amazing to me on you know my journey with my mom, who's now been gone for um since twenty fourteen so uh, you know everything seemed to um exacerbate you know because I was worn down and tired on top of it all, uh-huh. but I really had to learn to deal much more with my emotions and and dig a little bit deeper, and to me, I know it sounds really weird, but it really was a gift. In yeah. a really strange package, but it was like, gosh, what a blessing to figure this out um, yeah. instead of stuffing it because everyone's telling you, you know, don't show your emotions and don't do this and don't do that. And, and that's one of the things I appreciate even like when I go speak now, Patty, is, you know, sometimes I, I, I get teary eyed when I'm telling a yeah. story and people go, oh, you can't do that as a speaker. And I'm like, I have to show my vulnerability if I expect them to share theirs. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. you can't you have to move through this stuff and you I don't think you can you know if you don't accept that it's there um, or you're too afraid you know to let it show right. even to yourself I, I know some people won't, won't even show those emotions to themselves um, in their home alone so um, I think that the, the that's just such an important piece of this journey now another big factor. Is you know you're, you're dealing with a chronic illness uh, with no no cure in sight. Um, what do you think about end of life wishes and financial matters? When the heck do you address that? Because I see so many people wait till the very end.
2: Yeah, I think you need to do that right at the beginning. I think you need to do it when the diagnosis is made, when when that person still has lucid times um because you want them to participate in that um and you know you want their wishes to be to be honored and you know uh, not only the end of life wishes but but financial things are really important i mean you know so- someone has to have financial power of attorney and um you don't want to get into a situation where the person who is ill is um you know, I don't know, going online or going on the phone or something and spending all their money on who knows what. Um, Mm -hmm. A friend of mine just yesterday, actually, whose mother has Alzheimer's, said that her mother had started writing checks to family members um, for occasions that were not yet, like people's birthdays were and it wasn't their birthday and I don't know what all, Christmas and it's not Christmas yet and all that, you know and just mailing off these checks. And I said, well, (laughs) hopefully she's not mailing the checks to, like, other people as well, or businesses or strangers or something. And she said, I don't know. And I said, well, does your father have financial power of attorney? She said, I'm pretty sure. And I said, okay, so then this this is what I would recommend. Have him change the checking account, just cancel that one out, but leave her the checks, and let mm-hmm. her keep having fun writing checks. She's writing checks on a dead account. She's not going to know that. Mm-hmm. You know, she's far yeah. enough along that it would be confrontational to say to her, you can't do this and, and all that. Why, why go there, you know? Your goal mm-hmm. should always be to maintain peace. So just change the checking account and let her have fun writing checks.
0: Yep. Yeah, I, I had a very good friend who got scammed multiple times. And... um you know, with dementia, I had another friend whose dad was a super savvy business person. And, you know, he wanted control of his investments, and they had to pull that back. And then it was the credit cards, and he was purchasing stuff online all the time. Then he started doing day trading himself, that they didn't know about. And, you know, they had to take the car away. And he was always one step ahead. And he's like, I can use an Uber, you know. <laughs> and so, but again, it's, it's a game you have to play to make sure that they are, you know, are protected and, and safe. And, um, and, and there's so many ways to be able to do that in a, in a dignified fashion and allow that. Yeah, I mean, if-
2: you know, it's, I have a whole section in this book about lying and, mm-hmm. um, and I highly recommend it, uh, okay. <laughs> in, in, with dementia. Um, it's a skill you really want to, to cultivate. And, um, you know definitely with financial matters um lying is your friend you know mm-hmm. like i suggested to to my friend uh, um you know just changing the checking account and not and not telling her um, uh you know however you however you want to do it to keep peace um is it, it's better than having that confrontation but early on, if you can get the person to agree, you know at least to turn over financial power of attorney to someone else, um, you know when they have moments of lucidity, that's that's gonna you're gonna be better off taking care of that right away, and particularly end of life. I had someone in my support group whose whose mother was at the end and was dying, and had never um, had refused to um, make her wishes known. And this woman had to make a decision to, um, you know, to withhold, to to basically euthanize her by withholding, you know, fluids and food when it got to the point where she couldn't swallow anymore. And, you know, it's a, it's the most humane decision to make, but
0: she shouldn't have had to make that
2: on her own.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, there is. I'm going to give a plug for two um, resources, and I don't know if you're aware of them. One is Compassionate Choice, and they actually have a segment in there that's a tool for dementia that you can add on to your healthcare directive. And they have some great, great things. And then there's also an app called Careful. And it can monitor all the financing. So if someone's paying, you know, double bills or maybe they're not paying the bills or things are going out to strangers, patterns have changed. Um, When someone's earlier on, that's a nice way to be able to monitor to know when you kind of got to up the ante, you know, with things Um, as things as things progress. Um, I want to ask you a couple more questions, then I want to um, pull Kate in um, and just ask for some comments from her. But, you know, how how as a caregiver do you avoid stress and getting related illnesses? I know for myself, all of a sudden I had acid reflux, I was yeah. getting headaches, yeah. and no, no one ever mentioned it might be tied in to, you know, caring for my mom and my dad. But then yeah. after that left it was like, poof, I don't have any of this stuff anymore. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. Yeah, and there are you know, listen, caregiver stress is a very real thing and and the medical community knows that and they know that the caregivers, particularly of people with dementia, are, are very likely to, to get ill and even die before the person they're caring for. The person with dementia has no stress. Every moment's new. Mm-hmm. Right? if they get if they have a meltdown it's over in 15 minutes and 15 minutes after that they don't remember it
1: mm-hmm. but the
2: caregiver remembers it 15 days later so um you know i think i think the first thing is to to acknowledge that that stress exists you know this is um i i'm in a danger zone here of stress i think meditation is um a really good technique i've written about that in in this book um mm-hmm. And, you know, there's just some basic things like exercise and and also talking to someone. If you can find a support group, that's really beneficial. But if not, you know, find someone who you can talk to who understands, hopefully who's, who either is going through the same thing or has gone through it so you don't run into people not understanding what you're going through, which can be really difficult and, and damaging.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah. But, I mean, you have to take that on as like, th- okay, this is this stress exists in my life. I can't deny it's here. So what am I going to do about it and really be proactive about it?
0: Yep. Yeah, I found even just um, deep breathing and um, some yoga, which I don't do anymore, but I really should get back into that, was mm-hmm. just, life-changing i mean i always remember growing up my mom would say Count to ten, you know before i reacted and uh-huh. it was like oh oh there was a reason for that you know
1: <laughs> it was to get yeah. myself
0: get myself centered so now i just take some deep breaths and i don't think people understand how that actually changes the chemistry in your body just by yeah. taking some deep breaths you know there's so life can be so simple if we just kind of slow down and pay attention to our bodies and and what they're telling us and and how they're reacting, and same with the person with dementia. Um, I, I see so many families wanting someone to speak to them the way they used to, and they totally ignore the body language. And did, did you go through a phase with with your dad with that? Or I, I kind of feel like people who are really stemmed and feel like the the love connection isn't gone still see that body language. But I, I that's that's well, been my I experience. um.
2: I mean, at the point when language got broken, and and uh, you know, it's come to be called word salad in the world of mm-hmm. Alzheimer's. Um, and I I listened to my to the intonation of his voice, mm-hmm. and looked at body language also. Mostly, I listened to the intonation, and um, and and I, it's usually if you do that, you can figure out if the person is upset. Or if they're amused by something, or or they want something, um, that's usually that's usually there in in the
0: intonation of their voice. Mm-hmm. Great. I'm going to just pull Kate in here really quick and see, um, Kate, if you have any comments. I know we've covered a lot of territory, and um, you know one of them was was lying to somebody with dementia, what I like to call fiblets, um, to just. You know, make things sure. still be fluid. What are your thoughts? Um,
3: you know, on, on you before we before I became a um, patient, I was a caregiver. So I thought I knew everything, but no. Until I lived in this in this dementia world and going through all the emotions, and then I could tell that oh, okay. You know, I'm a wanderer. I wander around and, and I did not know what that was before I had STD. So now I can differentiate between Alzheimer's and really. So anyway, there there's so many... Uh, um, uh, I don't know how to say this. I was angry as a caregiver because um, I was frustrated, not as a patient... But the workers didn't understand, but it is not their fault. I think they need more education in the field of Alzheimer's or any kind of dementia. And uh, they cannot be just that out there. All right, now you work for the dementia unit. Dementia is not like just like pneumonia or a broken hip. Or they really, really, really need to, to have more education on this uh, disease and then uh, also i after I had dementia, I had another kind of anger. It is the anger that there's education out there, and there's advocates advocates feel like everywhere <laughs> what we are doing right now, but uh they're not interested and uh, they would, this I learned, and I experienced it myself from a lot of I'm, I'm with several support groups. And uh I hear all I hear is loneliness and they're angry because they, they they seem to feel like, you know, oh hey, I'm not a piece of furniture. They're just at a party or family get together and they're being ignored or, you know, you talk to somebody about me and I'm sitting here and I can still understand, especially in middle stages. I it doesn't mean that once you're diagnosed, you forget everything. I still am a person. look at mm-hmm. me. you know mm-hmm. it's like when I was with patients um i have my i had my own um side business let's say after i i uh stopped working for a facility and um uh, I work with um uh, mainly professors because this 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 is a campus town emeritus <laughs> so um I look in their eyes a lot and I always ask, who's your best friend? Because it seems like all they is talk to me all day long. And then, each one of them, at whatever stages it is, try to think, and they have no best friend. I say, what about way back when you were working? Who's your best friend? They didn't re- you'd be surprised. You're so famous and you don't have a best friend to talk to about this. And uh, I was, I was really angry that you know nobody talks to them. they are isolated because even their families don't believe them. I am one of those people yeah. um, mm-hmm. my children my children do not accept it uh, so i under all that anger, like you said, there is something else it is loss mm-hmm. it is loss the loss of family. The loss of friends, the loss of grandchildren, the loss of independence, and the worst of all is grandchildren. Because um, uh, I have two grandchildren that's in another state that I don't see at all, and uh, I have about four grandchildren here in the in the state in the same town, and I'm only called if I'm needed. And then, hey, where's my dementia? Aren't you worried that I will hurt your children? But could I take the child from A to B, four doors away to the other grandmother driving my car? No. But my neuropsychologist never said I could not drive yet. That was the early stage, right away. Not only did I lose my grandchildren, I could not babysit them. But I also have never been shopping with my grandchildren. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and uh, my son agreed with a girlfriend that they didn't bring my grandchildren to see me. I mean, that is a very, very big loss. This is the we need support. Not only me. And I'm, I'm speaking for all my dementia friends in support groups. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yes, I'm under that anger is loss. It's definitely loss a lot of so so many things. And about um what do I do when I'm angry and uh I'm beginning to have sundowning. Yeah. I prepare for it because um there life goes on. There's other things. There's bills. there's husband, there's you know, all kinds of things that go on. I get very, very frustrated and so I will have to Uh, either get angry, get angry, outwardly get angry, frustrated, or just find a way of moving of myself to somebody else. Just like Mm -hmm. uh, Laurie's big name of, what's that, Laurie? Shifting from crisis to comfort. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'm comforting the other person or comforting myself and that's rather selfish but it does shift my way of thinking, but not for long. I will come back to being the adventure person again yeah. and well, thank I you also for sharing that Thank how you hard for- it is to how hard it is to how uh, how hard it is to be a caregiver like yourself and Laurie. I read a bit of uh floating in the deep end, and uh, I just want you to know that i I do really understand.
0: All oh,
2: right. Well, thank you very much.
3: Thank
0: you, um, Patty. I, I have a few more questions for you, uh, sure. if you don't mind. Um sure. One is, you know, how did how how do you think people should try to navigate those quick turns in the disease? You know, when, you know, things are like going along, and then all of a sudden you just kind of hit that bump, and and things just kind of blow up. And are no longer the same you know how did you do that and and how do you how do you recommend others deal with those deep deep turns
2: well I think you you know you have to just take it in the moment Um, um, and uh, you know I whenever I went up to my parents house I would before I walked through the front door I I would tell myself I don't know what I'm going to encounter here I don't mm-hmm. know what this what today is gonna to be like, I don't know what my father's gonna be like, I don't know um what he's gonna say, what he's gonna do. I don't know, but I'm gonna stay open to it. So I think I think that's one thing, but I also think I, I've always said to people and I and I've written about this also in um in Floating in the Deep End that before asking what you should do in a situation, check in with who you are being right then if it's a parent and you're still the resentful 17-year-old who, you know, had issues with that parent, nothing you do is going to work because mm-hmm. that's what you're leading with. And on an intuitive level, the person with dementia is going to pick up on it. You know, they may have lost cognitive skills, but um but their intuitions and their and what they absorb emotionally are, are still there. So, um You know, resentful 17-year-olds don't do very well in difficult situations. (laughs) So, um, you know, address that first because, you know, form will always follow content. So I think that what you you need to do in any situation, if you're coming from a centered place, if you're coming from a place of, okay, I'm going to be a responsible adult here, I don't care what went on before in the past, it doesn't matter right now. Um I'm going to show up here as as a grown up. Um mm-hmm. then I think what you should do follows from that. And you know what? Sometimes things work and sometimes they don't. Changing the scenery, someone gets stuck in a loop, um works usually pretty well. You know, move them to a different room, move them to a window, Ch- literally change the scenery. Um so you know there are a lot of techniques that work, but but like I said, if you're coming from um, your history with that person and it's a difficult history and you're caught up in all of those emotions, nothing's going to work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's a really good advice. Check in <laughs> with who are you
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: in that moment. That just makes so so much um, sense because I think so often it's easy to blame the person with dementia for a situation or we love to call it a behavior which none of us want to be told we've got a behavior that's not a good thing and yeah. yet so often they're totally content till we walk in the room with our junk being the mm-hmm. person we are and we think we're hiding it but we're not we're um, never hiding so, it you,
2: We we lead with our emotions all the time Mm-hmm. You know, you can say hello to somebody, and if you hate that person, that hello is going to be dripping with your hatred, and yep. anybody is going to pick up on that, right? So, yep. you know, you can, I mean, you know, my mother used to do that. My mother used to, my mother was like the, you know, quintessential ice queen when she wanted to be, mm-hmm. and, and you know, she would go hello to someone and, you know, turn them into a block of ice, and then she'd go, well, all I said was Hello
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yep. yeah it was
2: everything around it that that was the communication, not the word
1: right yep, it
2: was
0: that was the giveaway, yep. but <laughs> yeah but it's but it's so interesting because people I think, especially with dementia, feel that they can hide their emotions and and you can't um no. people with dementia can still read through that, and I I think that shocks people when they actually learn that. But it's something, you know, to me, I believe it's innate in all of us. But as we get older, for some reason, people stop utilizing that tool, which is three quarters of our communication
1: well, I would get... take
2: it. I would say uh, take it even one step further, and I would say that someone with dementia picks up even more on your emotions because they mm-hmm. don't have the cognitive skills to rationalize what uh, the emotions that are coming at them.
1: They don't oh, have.
2: Think. They can't rationalize and say, oh, "Okay, well." you know Tommy's pissed off right now because you know he's remembering that you know what I did to him 10 years ago or something like that they don't have those skills anymore so yeah. all they're picking up on is is the anger the resentment the irritation or whatever is coming at them they feel it even more
1: mhm
0: yep yep no I, I i i agree with that as well um you know, another big question that people struggle with is when the heck do you pull in outside help or do you pull in outside help? I think there's, you know, kind of this stigma of what do you mean you can't handle it, you know? Yeah. And and people see kind of the scathing eyes and they, they feel that sense. If it's real or not, I, I think caregivers just, they they feel that people are looking at them strange if they're thinking about you know, pulling in help or needing to place somebody and but well, usually... the
2: people who are the people who are judging you for any of that you don't mm-hmm. need in your life
1: mm-hmm. I mean
2: that's I think a big lesson of this disease anybody who um who is judging you for the choices you make um, they're not your friend, and you don't need them. You need people mm-hmm. who are supportive around you um and uh, you know as far as bringing in outside help i i would say as soon as possible even on a limited basis so that your loved one gets used to someone else being around and you don't have to say that they're there to to take care of them because that often is the is the barrier and what gets them upset say that they're there helping you out
1: mm-hmm. you know
2: i need some help organizing things or i need some help whatever make something up you know mm-hmm. And, but really the person is there for your, for your loved one, but, um, but, but couch it as something different, you know, couch it as that they're helping you. I I would not wait until um, things get really bad and you really, really need someone.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: That's, you know, that's never a good position to be in. And the same is true. Um, a, about a facility, and you know, one of the misconceptions of um, of placing someone in a facility, if that's their decision, and I, it's not my place to ever tell anyone what they should do, but um, you know, oftentimes that is the best choice. There is there is um, a regimented atmosphere there. There is um, there is twenty four seven care. They're not going to wander. There are there are advantages to it. But one mm-hmm. of the misconceptions that i and i've you know heard this a lot is um, is that you're you're abandoning them if you mm-hmm. if you place them in a facility, and my response to that is always abandoning someone is driving them out to the Mojave desert, throwing them out of the car and leaving them there.
1: Mm-hmm. Abandoning
2: someone is not putting them in a facility where they will get qualified care where they will get 24-7 care where they will not be at risk of wandering off, um, not at risk of, of endangering themselves, we hope, if it's the right facility. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they will have a safe environment with, with people who know how to care for them. That's not abandoning someone. That's yeah. fulfilling your job as a caregiver and
0: giving them the best care possible. And I think one of the things that I learned, too, because I, I looked at all of those things you were talking about, but I'll never forget one day when I walked in and my mom was participating in an activity. And I just stood in the doorway in in amazement thinking I could never be her peer, no matter how hard I tried. Right. I could be your daughter. I could be your friend. But I could never, ever be her peer and yeah. she had that back again, and everyone in the group was just beaming, and yeah. and I, it was like I, that just melted my heart and helped me transition. Even though everyone says, you know, the person is transitioning, it's like, well, the care partners are going through a transition too. Yeah, that absolutely, they made. are. Yeah. But, but understanding that, you know, being tied to anybody 24-7 isn't healthy, you know, for, for any of us
2: on
1: this planet. No, it's
2: not. And and none of us were trained to to do this. And it's too, you know, it becomes down the line when bathing becomes an issue, dressing the person becomes an issue. It's too emotionally loaded. You mm-hmm. can't deal with your, you don't have the time to deal with your own grief if you are a hands-on caregiver uh, Completely, particularly mm-hmm. in the latter stages when it is absolutely a full-time job. And I think a lot of the reason that some people do take on that job in its entirety is that they know that they're not going to have time to uh, to deal with their own grief and they don't want to deal with their own grief.
1: Mm-hmm. So they,
2: they use the busyness of caregiving to avoid dealing with their grief. We don't like grieving. It hurts. Yep. But you're going to have to go there. You know, I've said all the time we think that that grief is something that we can, you know, push aside and it will we'll send it far enough away and it will just disintegrate. And it doesn't work like that. Grief is not biodegradable. It will wait for you and it will come find you. You're not going to get out of grieving over this person. You're going to have to do it. And I would suggest doing it as it is unfolding rather than waiting for it to come find you because if it has to come find you it's going to bring you to your knees it will bring Mm -hmm. your life to a standstill until you deal with it
0: yeah that's that's very true um for me i found kind of one of those kind of twisted um gifts in this disease too with when i was really grieving and just kind of getting sucked down the drain hole was coming to the realization that, you know, how lucky am I to have loved this deeply uh-huh. to feel this grief? Because so many people don't have that to begin with. And that right. really, we, yes. that really helped pull me out.
2: Yeah, we grieve because we loved. And I'll tell you, it's a lot harder to lose someone, whether it's to Alzheimer's or anything else, but we're talking about Dementia here losing losing let's say a parent to dementia who was not a good parent and who you mm-hmm. didn't have a good relationship with or maybe was even abusive to you and then, and that is actually a harder loss because you don't get the sweetness of grief, you don't mm-hmm. get the 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 dimension of of love mm-hmm. um and what you have to realize is that you've been grieving your whole life. Over not having a parent who was loving to you,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: you are feeling grief, but it just feels so familiar to you right It's an extension of the grief that you've felt your whole life, so so it doesn't feel familiar it does it feels so familiar to you that you're going, well, I'm not grieving, yeah, you are,
1: mm-hmm. but
2: it's the grief that you've you've um experienced your whole your whole life, but I have seen people in my support group you know envy um, other people who had a good relationship with the person they're losing, and and have that sweetness of grief, and that person who had a difficult relationship, or as I said I mean an abusive one, they don't they don't have that dimension to the
1: pain mm-hmm. that they're
0: going through. Mhm. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, it's a really interesting process. You bring up so many good points. That I think are are overlooked and can make such a huge, huge difference in the way people not only you know live with dementia but just live with life in mm-hmm. general. Because all of these things that you're talking about um, are spectacular to be used in the rest of your life too. Yes. And I and I think so often people forget that. It's like oh my gosh these. Everything that's good for dementia is good for the world and it's good for uh-huh. you it's good for your life it's good for your friends you will be taught such deep lessons if you choose to learn
3: you
0: yes, know if you choose absolutely. to be to be open and and I know for me that there were times that came hard and I would go in my basement and make sure everybody was gone and the windows were all shut. I would, I would have a screaming match with God. Yeah. I would scream, I would scream out like, what is the lesson? There's gotta yeah. be a point to this. And yeah. you know, typically within a day and sometimes within 20 minutes, it would be boom. Oh my mm-hmm. God. How did I miss that? But I yeah. wasn't, I was, I was busy looking for the answer but I wasn't focused, if that makes sense. And I was getting sucked into all the minutia that didn't matter, that yeah. really made me not be focused. So I felt focused because I felt so stressed. I'm like, yeah. I must be focused. I'm so stressed. You know? yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm working so hard at this. But then I would let that anger out at God, and which I think, again, is a good thing. Just mm-hmm. process it. And then I could breathe. And then i could really look around and listen and watch and it was like oh my gosh it was there the whole time yeah (laughs)
1: you know yeah
0: so um I, i think that that's one of the other things that you've um pointed out with with and again we've just barely touched on things What what people what you will find in this book is just amazing but You know, to me, it's dementia brings us to a point of simplicity, of stop making it complicated and just make it work and make it comfortable for them and for you. And if we focus on, you know, kind of the bottom of Maslow's theory of, you know, are we safe, are we happy, are we pain-free, and we push all the other gunk to the side, um, it really, it's really much easier to find the answers that you need. Yeah. That are there, and it's and it's yeah. easier to lie or tell a fiblet because it's all about comfort. You're not doing it exactly. to be mean or nasty. Right. Um. You're you're doing it really to protect them and to preserve their contentment in their day and their comforts. And yeah, a,
2: that's exactly. I mean, you you know, you always want to avoid upsetting the person. You know, you don't want to tell them they're wrong. Um, a friend of mine who's who cares? Sometimes I mean, visits frequently with uh, a friend of his who has Lewy body dementia. Called me and said she thinks there are men on the roof, and I keep telling her there aren't men on the roof, and she won't. And then she gets angry and she won't believe me. And 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 I said, well, don't do that.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Try instead saying to her, validating what she. I, I said, first of all, she's she has Lewy body dementia. She's hallucinating.
1: Mm-hmm. She
2: sees them. They're real to her. So say you know what you're right. There were men on the roof. I saw them, but I chased them away. You mm-hmm. let me know if they come back, and I'll chase them away again.
1: Yep.
0: And he tried that, and it worked quite well. Mhm. Yep. Yeah. It it makes such a huge difference, and it's so much easier to step into their space than try to pull them out of, you know, yeah. their reality. And yeah. right. I I um I don't understand and, and not to be judging but I, I really I, I try to understand why people have such a difficult time with that and I had one one woman one time say you know I was brought up Catholic and we do not lie and I'm not going to start yeah. out and I said yeah you know I can't argue your theology you know with you I'm just saying this might make both your lives a lot easier. It's kind of like trying to convince someone to take a shower all day long and you're fighting because they don't yeah. want to go in or they don't want to get out of their jammies. Yet it's perfectly fine if we don't want to get out of our jammies or if we want to skip a shower for a day. Yeah. We don't have anybody breathing down our neck and realizing this is this can be normal. This doesn't have to be an everyday thing, but we assume it's going to be an everyday thing. you know and and we battle it um and we wreck our day for both of us where you know maybe they just want to take a shower at night or maybe they want to skip a day um Mm -hmm. but not giving that a chance um to Mm -hmm. to work out um well patty this has just been just a wonderful wonderful conversation we only have about four minutes left but i want to ask you you know if people are dealing with kind of the the first signs of dementia where should they go for help? What do you, what do you recommend?
2: Um, well, I would recommend trying to find a, a, a support group, um, and if you can't, then you know find find someone who is going to be open to uh, be open to what you're talking about. Like I said, someone who has some understanding of what you're uh, what you're going through, um, and. You know don't if you think of okay, I've gotta deal with everything all at once, then you're not gonna probably end up dealing with anything
1: mm-hmm. um,
2: There are things that you have to deal with right at the outset driving financial things um you know make a list if if making a list helps you um sort of compartmentalize and and you know take a deep breath take take things one at a time. I mean, there are things that you're gonna to have to deal with right out of the gate mm-hmm. um but take them take them one at a time, you know just from from the beginning, be aware of the potential for for stress in yourself and and decide at the beginning you know that that you're gonna keep that in check, however you have to do it,
0: you're gonna keep that in check, mhm. Wonderful. And, you know, for support groups, um, I think a lot of times people think of just themselves as a caregiver, but um, Memory Cafes are for both the people with dementia and the, the care partners. And what I love about those is it allows them to build a peer group that understands, because a lot of times people lose their friends and family, kind of walk out like Kate was mentioning. Um, and then there's also dementia mentors where a person who's newly diagnosed can be mentored by a person with dementia because yeah. they know what it's like, what all the things that are going through their heads, the emotions, yeah. how they're looked at different, treated differently, all of those things. And, um, you know, so I'll, I'll give another plug for dementia map to check out. There's lots of great resources there. and so many of the support groups are virtual so they don't have to be in your backyard anymore. So keep that in mind. So again, Patty, thank you so much. Your book is beautifully done. And it really talks about the human condition, you know, and how we need to care for ourselves as well as caring for others. It's just um, the guidance that you, you give in here is wonderful. So I really recommend that people pick up this book and you can go to Patty's website, booksbypattydavis.com or she has a website page as well which is Books by Patty Davis and you can also follow her on Twitter and that's Patty P-A-T-T-I and then an underscore Davis. Um, again, thank you. Thank you so much. It was just such an honor to talk with you. I could talk with you all day long and and wow. Kate, thank you as well for um, for joining us. It's always nice to have a Perspective
3: of someone with dementia as well. So I appreciate well, thank that. Thank
2: you so much. I appreciate it. May that. I
3: say one word in parting? Sure. I want to quote, uh, I don't know all the words, the late President Reagan.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: He said once, I think, um, to his, uh, Henry VIII, said to his sixth wife, I won't keep you waiting too long. So <laughs> I won't. <laughs> I'll be very quick about this. I just want to thank you, Patty. Because I've learned so much uh, just listening to you, and I'm going to to Amazon to get books. Um, I read a lot. It says um, don't need people who don't support you, and uh, many people have told me that, but it did not sink in. And yeah. today mm-hmm. it does because I have just recently been very very hurt. Like they don't even know they don't even think that you have dementia to deal with. They talk mm-hmm. to you at their level. And uh, that's actually scolding you, and um, and and that is that is no no. And I've learned that's the biggest thing I've learned from you today. And uh, I don't know uh, what do you miss most about your father?
2: What do I miss most about my father? Yes. Well, my father was a very elusive man, so I, I sort of missed him my my whole life, but. Um, you know, I, I felt that in the ten years of Alzheimer's, I I made connections with him that I really hadn't made before, on a deeper level.
3: Oh, nice. I miss his great leadership, and I I miss his sense of humor. Thank you, Patty. Thank you. Thank you both. And um, Thank you.
0: listen in for our next show on. Thursday, we're going to be talking with Life Bio. All our shows are archived, and you can always find more information at com as well. Thanks, everyone. Have a blessed week. Bye bye.
1: It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement.